Chapter Twenty Two of Quicksand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. Quicksand by Nella Larson. Chapter Twenty Two. And so, in the confusion of seductive repentance, Helga Crane was married to the grandiloquent Reverend Mr. Pleasant Green, that rattish yellow man, who had so kindly, so unctuously, proffered his escort to her hotel on the memorable night of her conversion. With him she willingly, even eagerly, left the sins and temptations of New York behind her to, as he put it, labor in the vineyard of the Lord in the tiny Alabama town where he was pastor to a scattered and primitive flock. And where, as the wife of the preacher, she was a person of relative importance—only relative. Helga did not hate him, the town, or the people. No, not for a long time. As always, at first the novelty of the thing, the change, fascinated her. There was a recurrence of the feeling that now at last she had found a place for herself, that she was really living, and she had her religion, which in her new status as a preacher's wife had of necessity become real to her. She believed in it. Because in its coming it had brought this other thing, this anaesthetic satisfaction for her senses. Hers was, she declared to herself, a truly spiritual union. This one time in her life she was convinced she had not clutched a shadow and missed the actuality. She felt compensated for all previous humiliations and disappointments, and was glad. If she remembered that she had had something like this feeling before, she put the unwelcome memory from her with the thought, "'This time I know I'm right. This time it will last.' Eagerly she accepted everything, even that bleak air of poverty which in some curious way regards itself as virtuous, for no other reason than that it is poor and in her first hectic enthusiasm she intended and planned to do much good to her husband's parishioners. Her young joy and zest for the uplifting of her fellow-men came back to her. She meant to subdue the cleanly scrubbed ugliness of her own surroundings to soft inoffensive beauty, and to help the other women to do likewise. Too, she would help them with their clothes, tactfully point out that sunbonnets, no matter how gay, and aprons, no matter how frilly, were not quite the proper things for Sunday church wear. There would be a sewing circle. She visualized herself instructing the children, who seemed most of the time to run wild, in ways of gentler deportment. She was anxious to be a true helpmate, for in her heart was a feeling of obligation, of humble gratitude. In her ardor and sincerity Helga even made some small beginnings. True, she was not very successful in this matter of innovations. When she went about to try to interest the women in what she considered more appropriate clothing, and in inexpensive ways of improving their homes according to her ideas of beauty, she was met always with smiling agreement and good-natured promises. "'Y'all is right, Miss Green,' and "'I certainly will, Miss Green,' fell courteously on her ear at each visit. She was unaware that afterwards they would shake their heads sullenly over their wash-tubs and ironing-boards, and that among themselves they talked with amusement, or with anger, of that uppity meddlin' northerner, and poor reverend, who in their opinion would a done better to a married Clementine Richards. Knowing as she did nothing of this, Helga was unperturbed. 
but even had she known she would not have been disheartened. The fact that it was difficult but increased her eagerness, and made the doing of it seem only the more worth while. Sometimes she would smile to think how changed she was. And she was humble, too. Even with Clementine Richards, a strapping black beauty of magnificent Amazon proportions and bold shining eyes of jet-like hardness. A person of awesome appearance. All chains, strings of beads, jingling bracelets, flying ribbons, feathery neck-pieces and flowery hats. Clementine was inclined to treat Helga with an only partially concealed contemptuousness, considering her a poor thing without style, and without proper understanding of the worth and greatness of the man, Clementine's own adored pastor, whom Helga had somehow had the astounding good luck to marry. Clementine's admiration of the Reverend Mr. Pleasant Green was open. Helga was at first astonished, until she learned that there was really no reason why it should be concealed. Everybody was aware of it. Besides, open adoration was the prerogative, the almost religious duty, of the female portion of the flock. If this unhidden and exaggerated approval contributed to his already oversized pomposity, so much the better. It was what they expected, liked, wanted. The greater his own sense of superiority became, the more flattered they were by his notice and small attentions, the more they cast at him killing glances, the more they hung enraptured on his words. In the days before her conversion, with its subsequent blurring of her sense of humour, Helga might have amused herself by tracing the relation of this constant ogling and flattering on the proverbially large families of preachers, the often disastrous effect on their wives of this constant stirring of the senses by extraneous women. Now, however, she did not even think of it. She was too busy. Every minute of the day was full, necessarily, and to Helga this was a new experience. She was charmed by it. To be mistress in one's own house, to have a garden and chickens and a pig, to have a husband, and to be right with God. What pleasure did that other world which she had left contain that could surpass these? Here she had found, she was sure, the intangible thing for which indefinitely always she had craved. It had received embodiment. Everything contributed to her gladness in living and so for a time she loved everything and every one, or thought she did. Even the weather. And it was truly lovely. By day a glittering gold sun was set in an unbelievably bright sky. In the evening silver buds sprouted in a Chinese blue sky, and the warm day was softly soothed by a slight cool breeze. And night—night, when a languid moon peeped through the wide-opened windows of her little house, a little mockingly it may be. Always at night's approach Helga was bewildered by a disturbing medley of feelings, challenge, anticipation, and a small fear. In the morning she was serene again. Peace had returned, and she could go happily, inexpertly, about the humble tasks of her household—cooking, dishwashing, sweeping, dusting, mending, and darning. And there was the garden. When she worked there she felt that life was utterly filled with the glory and the marvel of God. Helga did not reason about this feeling, as she did not at that time reason about anything. It was enough that it was there, colouring all her thoughts and acts. It endowed the four rooms of her ugly brown house with a kindly radiance, obliterating the stark bareness of its white plaster walls and the nakedness of its uncovered painted floors. It even softened the choppy lines of the shiny oak furniture, and subdued the awesome horribleness of the religious pictures. 
and all the other houses and cabins shared in this illumination, and the people, the dark undecorated women unceasingly concerned with the actual business of life, its rounds of births and christenings, of loves and marriages, of deaths and funerals, were to Helga miraculously beautiful. The smallest, dirtiest brown child, barefooted in the fields or muddy roads, was to her an emblem of the wonder of life, of love, and of God's goodness. For the preacher, her husband, she had a feeling of gratitude, amounting almost to sin. Beyond that she thought of him not at all. But she was not conscious that she had shut him out from her mind. Besides, what need to think of him? He was there. She was at peace and secure. Surely their two lives were one, and the companionship in the Lord's grace so perfect that to think about it would be tempting providence. She had done with soul-searching. What did it matter that he consumed his food, even the softest varieties, audibly? What did it matter that, though he did no work with his hands, not even in the garden, his finger-nails were always rimmed with black? What did it matter that he failed to wash his fat body, or to shift his clothing as often as Helga herself did? There were things that more than outweighed these. In the certainty of his goodness, his righteousness, his holiness, Helga somehow overcame her disgust at the odour of sweat and stale garments. She was even able to be unaware of it. Herself Helga had come to look upon as a finicky, showy thing of unnecessary prejudices and fripperies, and when she sat in the dreary structure, which had once been a stable belonging to the estate of a wealthy horse-racing man, and about which the odour of manure still clung, now the church and social centre of the negroes of the town, and heard him expound with verbal extravagance the gospel of blood and love, of hell and heaven, of fire and gold streets, pounding with clenched fists the frail table before him, or shaking those fists in the faces of the congregation like direct personal threats, or pacing wildly back and forth, and even sometimes shedding great tears, as he besought them to repent. She was, she told herself, proud and gratified that he belonged to her. In some strange way she was able to ignore the atmosphere of self-satisfaction which poured from him like gas from a leaking pipe. And night came at the end of every day, emotional, palpitating, amorous. All that was living in her sprang like rank weeds at the tingling thought of night, with a vitality so strong that it devoured all shoots of reason. End of chapter 22